0: Welcome to the Leaf by Lantern podcast, a show for Christian artists who want to retell fairy tales in the light of scripture. We'll discuss how to approach retelling a fairy tale according to the truth and beauty of the Bible, from ethical issues to images like rose gardens and dragon hordes. I'm your host, Alicia Pollard. Hi everyone, welcome back. So far in the podcast, I've talked about some basic principles for retelling fairy tales and addressed some lesser-known tales and how to retell them in the light of scripture. Today, I'll address one of the more famous tales, Beauty and the Beast, with a guest, Emma C. Fox. We'll talk about how Emma honored the truth and beauty of the Bible as she retold this tale in her book, The Arrow and the Crown. Before we get started, I'll give you some background about Emma, the book, and what we'll talk about. First, Emma. Emma Fox has earned degrees in music and art history and has a lifelong interest in the intersection of music, art, and literature. She lives in the magic city of Birmingham, Alabama, along with her husband, three book-loving children, and a loyal border collie. Her debut fantasy novel, The Arrow and the Crown, has received multiple awards, including the Warren S. Katz Award for Juvenile Fiction. Her second book, The Carver and the Queen, is a historical fantasy retelling of Siberian folklore and releases from Owl's Nest Publishers this October. She is also a contributing author to The Lost Tales of Sir Galahad, published last year by Rabbit Room Press. Explore more of her fantasy world and work at emmafoxauthor.com. Now for Emma's book, The Arrow and the Crown. The back cover reads, Ever since Anna can remember, she has avoided the ancient Grunwald Forest where her parents disappeared years ago. Everyone in the kingdom of Weisberg knows the forest is haunted. Tales abound of vengeful spirits that lurk among the trees, and of a beast that has taken the lives of peasants, knights, and the king's own son. But when the beast emerges after seven silent years to wreak havoc on the kingdom, Anna braves all her fears to confront him. She soon discovers that there's more to the beast than she realized, and more to herself than she ever imagined. In our discussion, Emma and I talk about her personal history with faith and fairy tales and how her book handles the images of light and darkness, the beast, the forest, the community, griffins, and a bonus topic at the end. Here's our conversation. Hi Emma, welcome to the Leaf by Lantern podcast i'm really excited to talk about your book the arrow and the crown which is a retelling of beauty and the beast so this is the first major famous Mm well-known fairy tale i've talked about on the podcast since i'm starting out with lesser known ones so this is really fun for me so first of all before we get to the book can you tell a little bit about your history with fairy tales and how that interest came to relate to your faith um
1: well i was an eager reader as a child and I especially adored the fairy tale section at our local library. I read everything they had in that corner, fairy tales from all around the world. They just, they sparked my imagination and they gave me a sense of of something deep and rich. Like I was part of this larger story. I read through the Chronicles of Narnia for the first time when I was seven and then reread and reread and reread <laughs> until the books were just tattered. Um, And I guess The Hobbit, the book series actually was a gift to my sister, but I read the copies so many times that my mom ended up buying my sister a whole new set because like I said, Mm -hmm. they were in tatters. And then like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, which is a city where um, there's all kinds of history and also lots of legends. I I feel like I don't know, maybe that was somewhat of a, of a connection point with me. But as far as, as faith, mm. I am so glad that the Lord led me to those books and to Lewis and Tolkien, especially, because it helped me to start seeing myself as part of God's larger story and and his word as as story. I was captivated by that early on, by that idea of of the mm. prince who saves his beloved from the dragon, you know, and will do lay down his life to rescue her, and I'm so glad because that has impacted my life ever after.
0: So, is it especially the image of the prince coming to rescue, or um, what other images from fairy tales, like what other particular moments or or images or motifs, really captured you?
1: Moments of grace, uh, these unexpected uh places where the light comes in um because of course in beauty and the beast in that fairy tale it's kind of flipped around right it's it's the prince who needs rescuing he he's an adam figure who has has fallen and he desperately needs he can't save himself you know he needs someone from the outside he needs this grace the holy spirit basically um to to shine into his dark dark heart and his darkened castle and um save him from himself and and transform him
0: Mm, that's so that's so good especially um our culture in in good ways as well as bad but there's this idea of making yourself making your own identity saving yourself becoming Mm -hmm. strong and powerful on your own and yet we crave that that grace It's like no i really need help and i need someone to come and tell me who i am and make me into something which is what god does for us and there's there's something deeply healing about that i also i loved the cupid and psyche literary fairy tale the moment at the end of that tale when psyche has become the quester she's she's had these three impossible tasks and then she opens the box of beauty that she got from persephone which she wasn't supposed to do and falls asleep and then Mm -hmm. she needs help and then cupid comes and rescues her this is like my favorite so it's like her striving and her being courageous and yet at the end she she needs rescue um, because the gospels is both really are striving but ultimately god being the hero to rescue
1: i love cupid and psyche too my my next book the one that's coming out in october it definitely it, it's it's siberian folklore but it's definitely pulling on those those more ancient threads of the cupid and psyche myth which i think is really interesting how that had migrated north
0: Great. So the arrow and the crown. So you have an amazing um, hook of an opening. Uh, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, this is good. I'm in. But Anna, your main character, wakes to hear her horse screaming in fear because the beast, the dreaded beast, has visited their farm. And throughout the book, I'm seeing images of days, which are, I mean, safe-ish, not really completely safe, but it's the nights that are the really scary part. And then beautiful vistas and this um, German inspired kingdom you've created and then some nightmarish hidden places so light and darkness as themes um can you tell me more about how those found their way into your story
1: i had the book of first john kind of as a background in the story i i didn't start out saying oh i'm going to write this um (laughs) parable based on first john it's just that that's one of the books of the bible that i dearly love And John talks quite a bit about light and darkness um, and living as children of the light. And you see that in the other epistles as well. Um, Like in Colossians, Paul is like, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has um, brought us into the kingdom of light, Or Peter talks about how God's word is a light that's shining in this dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's just one of the most poetic Bible verses. I love it. So in the arrow and the crown, there is a progression from darkness to light. And that doesn't mean that it's, it's not completely linear because maybe it going into darkness stronger. So in the very first chapter, it, it's, the wee hours of the morning where it's still very dark, you know, the dawn is just, just coming. Um, but then by the final chapter, it it is blazing noonday, um, midsummer, um, from winter to summer. And I wanted that, that progression to also reflect what's happening in my characters hearts as they are growing into who they truly are, um, as they are uncovering truth and fighting back against the lies that have bound them. Um, so yeah, it's intentional.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love to how it's a ministry of grace. I mean, you see characters showing grace to each other, so showing love to each other and the transformation of love. But also each character has to choose to accept that. Otherwise, it's, um, it's inaccessible. And yeah, you know, that, that balance. Yes yeah, if there's a theme verse for this podcast, it would be first Colossians, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of his mm. beloved son because you know, just like the, the we see fairy tale as a witness of truth in a way that more quote unquote realistic stories as we try to define realism today aren't quite able to capture in the same way. So secondly, um, thinking through how you chose to take the original tale and then spin it in a retelling of the beast. So everyone who tackles Mm -hmm. retelling Beauty and the Beast has to figure out who their beast is and how he became a beast and why and how he's beastly. And a lot of people, um, including Disney, uh, very famously, um, and also, I mean, the original tale, but he's he's like -like, animal-like, not human. Um, so tell me as, as much as you can, without spoilers, we're, we're trying very hard to not spoil the book because there's some really good surprises in it. Um, but tell me about how you shaped your beast. And, um, you mentioned these binaries of, it was love and fear. And then the second one was lies and truth leaves. So. Yeah. Tell me a little bit how, how that took shape as you, as you shaped your beast.
1: Right. Um, so yes, like any beauty and the beast retelling is is going to have to tackle like justice and agency right because for the the prince's or the main uh, characters own wrongdoing um that's that's the take that disney does the the prince is very proud like he is beastly on the inside and then that that curse of the outer beastliness just reflects who he who he has become on the inside you know and he has to to be rescued from that and then there are other versions where the the prince was innocent and this was just a curse inflicted upon him and he's hoping that somebody will will see beneath the beastliness i was playing a lot with yeah once again first john like that idea of of truth and lies like what if you believe some okay the things that we believe about ourselves can become our reality and of course in fairy tales things are never quite as they seem right but what if somebody Believe the so completely the lie that I am a monster. I am the beast. That that mm-hmm. became his reality. Mm-hmm. I think you also have to really f- wrestle with h- how the how the prince uh, is is dealing with the beastliness. Like, mm-hmm. is this something that he has resigned himself to? Is it something that he fights actively against? Or you know, in a more twisted or dark retelling, mm-hmm. he might relish the beastliness. You know, he might just play it up for all it's worth
0: so i thought of two things um as you were saying that um scripturally we do have one person who's sort of turned into a beast nebuchadnezzar because he defied god yeah it's so i mean it's it's terrifying but it's also it's it's so beautiful because this is a pagan king he's not part of the abrahamic covenant and yet even even by judging him in that way by yes. by cursing him to live as a beast for seven years, I think it was, uh, which is number seven, um, but then have his kingdom restored after because he he raised himself up above God, uh, which he should not have done. And yet even that curse was grace to him because he um, he recovered, he became a human again and glorified God. So it was uh, just in that way, his, his beastliness was a gift in a crazy way. Um, and then outside of scripture, um, Are you familiar with The Princess and Mm Curdy by George MacDonald? Yeah, it's so good. I did a paper on that and how um, this idea that people Mm -hmm. turning into beasts, like it's their inner beastliness coming out, but then we have the character Lena who that has happened to her, but she's becoming Mm -hmm. good again. So there's this flip. She's a beast with a really good heart and um, Mm -hmm. uh, who helps Curdy on his quest. So yeah, if you can talk about a little bit more... um, I don't know scripture on that. Yeah.
1: Well, so here's kind of here's something on my heart that I I wanted to play with. Um, I grew up in Presbyterian, and it's a and in that faith tradition, like there, it tends to do historically has done a, a pretty mm-hmm. thorough job of emphasizing total depravity um, that we are born into sin um, because of Adam's fall <laughs> and depraved in every part of our being. Right. But unfortunately that never, that sometimes does not, we don't develop that mm-hmm. idea when we come to the perseverance of the saints, which, which also ought to be a key doctrine, you know, say that we are born in sin, but what does Christ redemption accomplish when he saves us that total depravity? We're no longer totally depraved. Like he has is changing us, transforming us from the inside out. We are now, we now have a new identity in him. It's the identity of a saint. Um, And that's why throughout the New Testament, Paul is constantly talking about, you know, I'm writing to the saints in this place or another, and he is calling them to be Mm -hmm. who they are. You know, once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And yet there have met so many believers, uh, people who have been redeemed by Christ, who still see themselves as monsters who still think that when they come before the face of God, that he sees Mm. just something awful and hideous, (laughs) instead of seeing themselves as God's ransomed beloved child. And if you know that you are God's beloved child, you know, one of those kings and queens that are going to be reigning uh, together with him, then Oh, that gives me so much courage and hope uh, to persevere and this is why i needed anna um to, to enter into the forest um um without, yeah without giving too many spoilers like she just needs there, there's a character who needs to know who he really is you know and christ says to us through the song of songs like you are altogether fair my love um but sometimes we see ourselves, even, even when we're redeemed saints, we think about, as we come before God, we think, oh, I am altogether ugly. <laughs> I, am, I am just a monster. Um, and so sometimes we need somebody to call us out and be like, you know, you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. Um, live, Live it. So yeah, I wanted
0: to ask you about the forest and its work in your story, because it's, it's so big. So, so tell me about that, where it came from, because in, uh, in Beauty and the Beast, you're telling usually you'll have the beast living in a castle in the middle of the forest. Most of the action happens at the castle. So you didn't choose to do it quite that way. But when Anna enters the forest, she enters a new space and there's a lot going on in there. So again, we're trying to avoid spoilers, but as much as possible, tell me about the forest and, and how you made it.
1: Sure. So, Um, and it does need to be recaptured and redeemed, but the mm-hmm. castle is outside of the forest. The forest has to first, has to be entered first. I love that image of the forest in fairy tales because it's this, it's this in between place and it's a place of becoming a place of transformation. So often in fairy tales, when our protagonist goes off into the forest, it takes a lot of courage and it's a place where they're going to end up facing their fears. Probably encountering dangers, but perhaps also encountering great wonders and treasures there. So my main character, Anna, she's always been terrified of the Grunwald forest. Her parents disappeared into this forest years ago. They never came back. That's all that she knows about them. And so she's afraid that if she goes into the forest, she'll lose herself too. But it ends up being that the forest is exactly where she needs to go (laughs) to learn the truth about herself, to become who she needs to be. There is um, there's both light and darkness in the forest as well. Um, so there is this cave there called the Mall, which is um, German for the, the hell mouth. It's an entrance to the underworld. And when you're in this cave, this Mall, basically all you can hear are Satan's lies. It's just full of these noxious fumes. It makes it hard to think. It give, makes you just want to despair. And yet there's also places of light and beauty in this forest as well and living trees um that are trying to fight against the darkness i i felt like the forest is you were uh talking in your first podcast episode about the different ways to look at fairy tales and there's there's a lot in freud that's just weird <laughs> you know but <laughs> but there is some grain of truth in where like in the the, the whole idea with like the the id and the ego and the superego where kind of in the fairy tale, you will sometimes have these concentric rings. So I see the forest as kind of the heart, this part, this deepest part that has to be redeemed and rescued. And then that can ripple outwards to the rest of the kingdom, the transformation that happens in the forest and the character's own tangled hearts.
0: I mean, Freud Freud was German, so, you know, appropriately to be And I think... You know with all the lenses i talked about in the first episode like there's a grain of at least a grain of truth sometimes more in in each one you know something we can we can learn about the ways to look at the world but you no know, it is really cool to have those different layers um that are present in the story the physical the spiritual you know the you know, the psychological as well what's going on characters minds mm-hmm. and hearts So another layer of this story uh, I was thinking about was community in the Beauty and the Beast tale. And again, it's so easy to think immediately of the Disney version, but I think this is present in all of them. You know, the relationship. So Beauty and the Beast at the center, the the growing um, romance and, and everything there. The inhabitants of the castle, if there are any, Beauty's family and what might be going on there. And then there's the wider community, um, the village, and then the kingdom. So tell me about how that developed as as you were writing, because there's a lot of tension, for example, between Anna and the villagers, which is not clear at first why, what's going on there. Um, how you develop those relationships? And did you find yourself thinking out or realizing anything about community as you were writing?
1: It did develop more as I was writing. So yes, Anna is like, many characters she she feels like she's an outsider um, well she is like the for some reason the villagers treat her with great fear and she's not sure why she thinks it must have something to do with the parents that she does not remember perhaps with her uncle Albrecht who is a cripple and very crusty and gruff and yet I didn't want my retelling to just be about my protagonist finding themselves as individuals. I wanted to show how they matured in relation to their communities. So like in the Disney Beauty and the Beast, which I do love, but like when Beauty is is singing about this provincial life and she just wants to get out of here. I wanted more for my main character. I wanted her to, yes, these people do not understand her and she doesn't really understand them and yet she cares about them. Um, These are the people that she's grown up with. She wants to help them. She wants to protect them. Um, and so when the beast from the forest is attacking the people of her village, she wants to do something about it. Even though these people have really never done anything for her, she cares about them. And that, that care in her heart will gradually widen out um, to a deeper love and care for the whole kingdom. And just oh, just playing with that idea of servant leadership, basically like being willing to, to lay your life down even for people who might not understand what's going on or, or care to repay you in (laughs) kind, but just as Anna grows in maturity, she comes to have a deeper love for.
0: I said, yeah, that self-sacrifice, I guess that's another huge note of fairy tales. There's grace and then sacrifice and self-sacrifice being the most beautiful and redemptive act of all, which again is, is the gospel. Uh, no, that's lovely, yeah, and being able to love people who do not love you back at least at first, definitely so so mm-hmm. contrary to our sinful nature that it is radical. it is totally unexpected and and therefore transformative. but um it's God's love that enables that we we can't really fully do that on our own, not well
1: no right uh, I think also um the need for her to bring. Bring the, the beast needs to come back into community as well. Like part of the reason that he's been the beast for so long is that he's been completely isolated from community, which you see in, in many retellings. Like he's so desperately lonely. And part of his redemption is being reconnected to community, to being brought back into the, the circle of, of human companionship.
0: And becoming known again, yeah, which you portray, again, not to spoil it, but you, you portray that really beautifully, that, that sense of becoming yourself again, when people call you by your name. Right. You remind me of a paper that um, years, ago, like five years ago, I went back to my college as an alumnus um, to read my own paper. And another paper at the conference was on social isolation in Frankenstein, another monster story. And the deep problems, like the deep especially before COVID, you know, before a so, a social isolation and everything, but that isolation really, it 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 warps your decision-making. And this is extreme isolation, but one of the issues of the book Frankenstein, like one of the beginning problems is that Victor, the scientist has isolated himself. And so he's, he's creating this monster and he doesn't have anyone around him to be shocked and horrified and say, Victor, no, that's a bad idea. Stop
1: it. Right. And he cuts himself off from the people who are trying to say, Victor, what are you doing? You know, the people who might stop them,
0: <laughs> right? Exactly, and just you need people around you who are of of right mind and are able to be shocked or horrified if if you're up to mm-hmm. no good. It's like, stop it, stop it immediately, as well as to encourage you in doing what is good, and and of course to love you, to comfort you, to encourage you, which the monster does not have mm-hmm. in Frankenstein. Which it's. The way he tells his story that's what leads him to acts of evil there was no one to love him which is so sad um yeah to be found and called by your name and treated treated with kindness um especially when you don't deserve Mm -hmm. it is what heals Mm -hmm. you and helps you um helps you to come come and well maybe not back but you know wherever whatever you strayed to but um helps you to heal and become someone who can love others
1: oh yes that's beautiful yeah. And will you receive that grace? Um, because I have a character, uh, Grom, who he cuts himself, like he he refuses to receive grace and how that impacts impacts him in a negative way. Did you know that Anna means grace? Did, like her name, my main character's name. Oh, of course.
0: Um, right. From It's related to Hannah. Yes. Um, biblically as well. And um, a couple others. There's great Hannah or Hannah mm-hmm. uh, figures in scripture, too. There's an inn in town called the Golden Griffin. Yes. And I'm wondering, um, because like Griffin is uh, has a dual nature. It's um, half eagle, half lion and there may or may not be um, uh, important things having to do with uh, Griffin-like characters in the story. Did that happen now to you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the Golden Griffin is the name of an old, by old I mean like it's from the 1400s, 1500s maybe, cavern that my husband and I visited in Germany. Oh, I love it. There, there are many places, specific places and things in that book that, that came out of that trip including like the the oven there in the golden griffin or uh warren's barn which was a real place in the black forest that i visited and um, that was built right into the hillside so that the people could uh bring the wood the the, the chopped down trunks uh, right right mm-hmm. there into the upper loft but yes i do love that the griffin is mm-hmm. also a christ figure and i did have in mind kind of a symbolic contrast there with the golden griffin and then there's this black falcon that's owned by uh, one of the the villains of the story mm. one of the antagonists and so contrasting the gold and the black because this man with the falcon is lodging inside the tavern and he and his cronies are are polluting it with great evil
0: oh i love that and um yeah especially color imagery um in fairy tales and in fantasy there's just there's so much you can do with it um mm. especially since colors can have different meanings in different contexts uh, I love that a lot. Yeah, and and wings. Um, ooh, yeah, and rescue
1: versus attack. Um,
0: yeah, so many layers there. I love it.
1: And, and the the symbol of the the king is in this story mm, is the eagle. eagle. Um, yes. And the king's crown is is an eagle's it's an eagle's wings form the circlet. The eagle comes up a lot in the symbolism of the story for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. They will ride on wings like eagles. They should walk and not be faint um mm.
1: yes and so does the lion um i can't give away spoilers but but the lion imagery comes out there too mm-hmm.
0: yes absolutely all right i had one final bonus question so i had asked uh, lauren about um, her book exile mm-hmm. i have an important rule for fairy tale retellings which is uh, I like to bring up, which is fancy dresses are very, very important. Uh, If you're gonna retell a fairy tale, you need at least one fancy dress, if not multiple. Tell me about how you made, and again, I don't wanna spoil too much, but there may or may not be some fancy dresses involved in this story. So did you have specific models in mind? Did you just kind of go crazy with your fantasy dresses? Please, please tell.
1: Okay, (laughs) yes, Um, I mean, there's, there's Anna's ball gown, which is crimson, crimson silk, accented with gold. And once again, I kind of had that sun and light imagery because the light at that point is growing. And, and I just thought that would be a beautiful dress. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you ever worn silk? A yes, silk
1: dress? as a bridesmaid in um, mm-hmm. one of my friends' weddings. Oh. It was lovely.
0: Hmm. I don't um, think I have. Someday. Uh,
1: yeah. It feels really good. The dress of, mm-hmm. Yes, there is some... I should talk about that. Her dress on the woman of Revelation, who is crowned with the moon under her feet. Oh. So in that scene, Anna has a blue dress um, that's sparkling all over it with embroidery. And her shoes are made of moon white silk. And then yeah. she has a crown. So yes, I had oh. that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful I
0: just and so satisfying. I think a, like a really good ending is is so satisfying, like a good feast. And part of that is that completion of images of um, darkness becoming light and of fear turning to love and of lies melting yeah. away in the truth. And to show that in concrete images uh, like that is is what helps readers get there um, emotionally and mentally.
1: And I mean, yeah. Revelation, ends with the most glorious true fairy tale picture of all you know the the wedding supper of the lamb you know and a new creation everything made beautiful and there's just this sense of of exuberant joy after all the sorrow and darkness that went before mm. so i wanted that too i wanted i wanted the joy and i wanted the wedding and um
0: yeah, yeah. your story echoes the great story which is what all good stories do um, you can't can't help it well, Emma, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I would definitely encourage people, can you still pre-order?
1: The uh, the Carver and the Queen, yes, you can. Um, you can find that at my publisher. It's called mm-hmm. com, And then you can also find it at Amazon. Um, right now on Amazon, it's just the, the Kindle copies available mm-hmm. for pre-order. But there will be uh, paperback and hardcover coming as well. If you order from my publisher, though, you get a special free little gift with your book when it comes in the mail. So I encourage that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.